Turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 12. And um, I'm going to read this, Jen. You can put it on, on the board behind me, but I'm going to read it out of the message translation just because I've been reading this verse uh, week by week. And I, I think maybe hearing it from a different translation might make it fresh. This is what Eugene Peterson put together. He says, beginning in verse 1, chapter 12, verse 1. Do you see what this means? So he's referring to something back, and that's chapter 11, all the people who've gone on before us who walk by faith. He says, do you see what this means? All these pioneers who blazed the way, all of these veterans cheering us on, it means we better get, a, get on with it. Strip down, start running, and never quit. No extra spiritual fat, no parasitic sins. Keep your eyes on Jesus, who both began and finished the race we're in. Study how he did it, because he never lost sight of where he was headed, that exhilarating finish in and with God. He could put up with anything along the way, cross, shame, whatever, and now he's there in the place of honor right alongside God. Isn't that a wonderful, wonderful section of Scripture? Tonight I'd like to talk about some men who were in a race uh, back in the 1300s, so almost a 1,000 years after Patrick. We talked about him this morning. And, um, but a couple hundred years before uh, before the Anabaptists and before um, Martin Luther. So these guys are in that middle ground. There's a thousand years of deep, deep darkness where, it, it, boy, that's a, I, I don't enjoy that piece of history at all. It's um, monasteries and monks uh, just so far away from the Christianity that I know. Just a thousand years of, of Roman Catholicism, uh, candles and incense and and no preaching. Uh, they had they had a Bible. It was called the the uh, the uh, Latin Vulgate. So it's in Latin. It was uh, translated many many years before by Jerome. And it wasn't really. It didn't really speak. It really didn't speak to us um, the way the the way the Bible does now. And so if you can imagine, there's a time. There's this guy. Uh, named John Wycliffe, and we're going we're gonna to talk about him and, and, and his experience with the Bible. Before I, I get into John, uh, I, I did a study years ago. I didn't have it in front of me here that, where I could cite it uh, accurately for you, but I did this study where I, I, I started realizing that some of these guys who were really changing and shaping history, the prime movers who were really being used of the Lord, were in their 20s. You know, we see Patrick today, he's 22 years old when he's really being used by the Lord. 25, he's shaping, he's, he's taken a whole nation for God. And then um, you see Francis of Assisi, he was really young. Uh, um, Charles, or, uh, Charles Spurgeon was probably the youngest preacher uh, in England. He's in his teens and he has the first megachurch. 
and ends up having the largest church in the world in his early 20s. Uh, George Whitfield was just a boy. He's in his 20s, and he's a, he's a world changer. Then you see Martin Luther and, and guys like Finney, and you know they're 35-ish in that range. So the average age is probably about 25 years old when these guys are really changing, changing the world. When you see old paintings or woodcuts of these guys and they're bald-headed with big gray beards, that's not what they look like when they started off. That's what they look like a couple years after they're in the ministry. They were just young guys. And um, the exception is Wycliffe. And John, John was older. He, he might have been, I think, maybe in his 50s when God's really started using him, uh, when the life expectancy is, is probably 50. And so he's a little bit older, and uh, a contemporary of his that was really used by the Lord, another John, uh, pronounced Jan or John, but we'll say John Huss. And he's in uh, Prague. He's in Czechoslovakia. And uh, they were both mighty, mighty used by the Lord um, what had happened is, is I think it was the, uh, one of the princes of Czechoslovakia married one of the royals. Are you sick of the royals, the, royal, the whole royal thing? So I'm not going to get into that very much. Um, and, and so she married into the royal family. And what that did is open up free trade back and forth between Czechoslovakia, Prague, and or it was called Bohemia in those days. It opened up free trade between that country and England, plus all kinds of benefits. Uh, students from Bohemia would go to England, to Oxford, because it was known as the greatest school in the, in the Western world, and, and they could go there to go to school. And one of the professors at Oxford was John Wycliffe. And he gets stirred up. And what stirred him up, primarily, the thing that really got him moving, was the injustice of... Uh, discrepancy between the ordinary people and the way the popes and the priests and the bishops were living. They were living like kings. They were living in royal splendor, and it bugged him. And they were demanding more money and paying, you know, you could have pay to have your sins taken away or get your parents or grandparents out of purgatory. But that money went to fuel the, the luxury that the Pope was living in, and he'd build these grand um, buildings, and, and uh, the, the, uh, the priests were paid by the government, paid by the state, and so you didn't have to work, because you got paid whether you worked or not, you got, weighed, you, got, you got money, you got wages, whether you're working or not, because the state covered your income. And they just, uh, they, were, they were so indulgent. And so, this started to bother uh, John. He started comparing them to the Apostle Paul. You can imagine being compared to the Apostle Paul. You're the Pope, and you're living in, in royal splendor. People are kissing your ring, and uh, you got rings on every finger, and uh, uh, you're being compared to the Apostle Paul who said, I, I, I don't even have clothing. I don't always have food. Uh, just working all the time to advance the kingdom of God. For, for nothing, for very even paying his own way. So he started getting this message out, comparing Paul and the Pope. Well, you can imagine the Pope starts hearing this. And it didn't stop there. The more he got looking at it, the more he exposed his heart to Scripture, he got looking at Scripture and started translating Scripture. He took Jerome's old Latin Vulgate, and he started 
translated it into English. And it wasn't a great, perfect translation, but it awakened his heart. There's no printing press at this time, but he would write out hand portions of it and, and give it to the, his disciples, and they would read uh, handwritten portions of the Bible, and it would ignite their heart. So uh, you can see there's a guy, you know, years later, a couple hundred years later, William Tyndale. There's a law in England that says that you can't even, you can't even handwrite one verse. You can't translate the, uh, the Bible into English. Well, it was all John, Whit John Whitfield's fault. He was doing this. He was translating it, give a slip of scripture to someone who would change their life. And the, the government... And the, and the church said, boy, Whitfield, he went off the deep end. He went crazy. He, went, he turned against the church. He actually left Catholicism and started his own movement. And they said the reason he did that is because he, he was playing around with the Bible. So from now on, ordinary people cannot read the Bible. From now on, ordinary people can't have a scrap of Scripture in their pocket or they'd be burned alive. That's how powerful the word is. They want to stop it. They don't want people to read it. They never have. They don't even want you to gather together as churches. They don't want you to gather together where you're exposed to the word of God because it might change. It might make you crazy. It might make you radical. It might set the world upside down. It might disrupt the status quo. It might convict people in high places. And so John... He became more and more outspoken. The more, more he got into the word, he said, okay, now uh, this whole thing of paying for your sins and indulgences, this is hundreds of years, a couple hundred years before Luther protested the same thing that started the Protestant movement. This is a guy very early on his own standing up. He found this voice who said, this is wrong. Praying to saints is wrong. Saints, by the way, uh, what would happen with saints... Somebody would get martyred, and so they would honor them by celebrating their birthday. And next thing you know, they're, they're saying that that person who's martyred, you all love him, you all know him, you know his birthday. We're celebrating his birthday years after he died. But he might have favor with God. Why don't you ask him to ask God to help you? And these were dead Christians. Be like, Grant being a martyr, and next thing you know, we're praying, asking Grant to, hey, whisper to Jesus that we need, a, we need this. It just, it, it, that's how it all started. So he saw the folly of it. He would speak out. The more he spoke out, the fewer friends he had. All the other people who first said, yeah, somebody needs to say this. This is wrong. After a while, he becomes so livid and becomes so outspoken that other staff, other teachers, other professors, other students started moving away from him, saying, this guy, they're going to kill him, and I, I don't want to be near him. But he had such tremendous influence. He translated the Bible uh, into English, the New Testament, and he's, and he's passing that out, making that available, all handwritten. He's preaching like a new man. He doesn't care about his job. He doesn't care about his lofty position as a professor at Oxford. He's a pastor of a local church, and, but he's found his voice. He's going after this thing. And the Pope hears about it, and other people hear about it, and they say, you better shut up. You better not speak out anymore. You better be quiet. And after a while, uh, 
he lost his position. They said, you're not welcome here anymore. You're no longer to teach in our university. Wouldn't it be something if we had some Wycliffe's in university today speaking out, saying what's right, saying what's wrong with the system? Amazing. Well, these Bohemians, young people, were going to Oxford, and they'd come home uh, on spring break rather than head to Florida. They'd go back home, and they would be bringing Wycliffe's books, scraps of scripture, pieces of uh, ideology that, that uh, he had developed, and they're bringing it back, and they're talking about, here's what we heard one of our professors say, and it would be earth-shattering. Next thing you know, they're having a meal, and they're talking about what what Wycliffe was teaching and what was, what was he saying that no one else had the courage to say and his influence spread. One of the teachers in Prague, who's a university professor, an older guy, was John Huss. And all of a sudden, he starts hearing what Wycliffe or Wycliffe had for influence, he started hearing his ideas, his thoughts, radical thinking. Let's get rid of this. Let's not. And he had a whole list of things. Martin Luther had 95. Uh, Wycliffe had had as many or more, saying, "This is wrong. This has to stop. This is wrong. This is not New Testament. This is not in the Bible." John Huss just wanted to finish his course. Just wanted to do his job. He was a professor of a university. He was a small-time pastor, had a small church. But as he listened to what Wycliffe was saying and started searching the scripture for himself, he became like a man on fire. He's not a young guy. He's at the age. He's at the age where he could soon be retiring. And he finds his voice, and he starts speaking out. And he starts telling the students. He starts raising his voice. And other people are saying, somebody's got to say this stuff. This stuff is wrong. It's, it's, not, it's not true Christianity. So I'm always curious to see how one person affects another person. And in the, in the church history, one of the things that I've noticed is that no man's an island. Somebody influenced Wycliffe. Wycliffe, he introduces stuff to John Huss. John Huss, they, they said John Huss was the goose and the egg was Luther. A couple hundred years later, Luther comes along and they, 200 years later, they're still blaming Huss for Luther. I want that kind of influence, don't you? That they're still talking about you, still blaming you 200 years later. I think that's powerful. No man is an island. Somebody gets it from somebody. Someone's influenced by somebody. Who knows who you'll influence? I don't want to be just influenced. I want to be an influencer. Don't you? The Pope would send a messenger to Wycliffe to demand his presence, to give an account for what he's teaching and what he's saying. And John Wycliffe would say, nah, and just not show up, just not bother going. John Huss, he was called to a council, and all his friends said, don't go. It's a trap. And he said, no, they've promised, they've guaranteed my protection. I'm, I'm free to get there, 
defend myself. They're burning my books. I can go there, defend myself, and come back. They said, don't go. They, they won't honor what they're saying. So John Huss, he goes, and he goes to this, uh, uh, his trial. They hear him a little bit. They're shouting him down. He doesn't really get to express himself. People are so angry with him. They capture him, and they put him in prison, just like his friends had warned him. Wycliffe lost his job. He's no longer a professor. He's no longer able to teach. He finds a little cottage someplace, and he tucks himself away, and he starts writing books, books that are going to really impact Christianity. And he just locks himself away, and that's how he spends his time. In fact, he died in peace. I think he just died in, uh, in bed. He wasn't martyred. They, they couldn't catch him. They couldn't burn him. They couldn't but <laughs> most amazing thing, talk about influence. After he was dead, I think maybe like 100 years, they went to his grave. They dug up his bones. They burned his bones, pulverized them, threw them in the river, declared him a heretic. That's influence. When they're so mad that they're, they, they can't burn you while you're alive, so they burn you while you're dead. One of the things that they, they were incensed about is John, would, he had a whole group of disciples. Some of them were, were very poor uh, monks and priests. Others were just lay people. And he set them on fire with this message that you need to go out and preach about having a personal relationship with Jesus and committing yourself to him separate from the church. Forget the church. This is because the church had gotten so corrupt. Let's get back to serious Christianity. And he inspired a whole movement of, of young people, people going out doing public ministry, public, public worship, public preaching, public testifying. People called them babblers. They didn't use that word. They called them lollards, but it meant babblers. And, they, and it, it got so bad. One guy, he wrote later on, you could read it, he said, he said, if you meet two people coming down the road, one of them is a babbler. Because there's just so many of these people who are out testifying and spreading the word of God. I want to be a babbler, don't you? I want to be a lollard for the Lord. Wickfield probably didn't think about starting a massive movement. He just wanted to affect change right where he was but he become one of the most influential leaders in all of church history. And the reason I can say that is because of who he influenced, who he inspired, standing alone, finding his voice, raising his voice through his writings, through his translation work. I think most people would know that name because today there's a whole uh, ministry of translators that go all over the world and they're called Wycliffe Translators. And that's big, it's, it all goes back to John. Even the, even the negative things that happened were because it was so powerful. John Huss, they put him in prison. And the first hold that they put him in was beside the prison's waste system. You can imagine all the waste going into the room that you're chained to. And the smell was horrid. He couldn't stop vomiting. It was so bad. And uh, uh, because it was so unclean, he became infected. He lost his health. Uh, 
a doctor got to him and, and complained to the higher-ups and said, this guy, this is, this is wrong. Uh, he didn't want him to die there. They wanted to burn him. So, so they said, we have to move him. We have to move him into another cell because the cell is so terrible. And they brought him out. He lost everything. He lost his health. He lost his position. Uh, they're burning his books. He's there uh, for, uh, I think, like a year and a half. That's a long time to be in isolation. That's a long time to be separated from everything you know and everything you love, your friends, your family, your church, everything. He's totally isolated from that. And then the day comes. This is the day you're going to die. And they bring him out. People are scolding him. He walks by where they're burning his books. And he's singing a hymn. And they tie him up to a post. They put a chain around his neck to hold him in position. Put all the wood up against him and set him on fire. Not knowing that setting this just man on fire would unleash wars that would go on for years and years and years. People were so incensed at the king and at the pope and all the religious nonsense because they knew that he was a just man. To this day, they have John Huss Day. It's a, it's a paid holiday. It's like a federal holiday. Uh, you can go to the spot where he was burned to this day. And uh, he, he became... They thought they were going to stop his influence. It actually spread his influence. It brought something out of students. It brought something out of young people that they had to protest what had happened. And it created one riot after another, which led to one war and another war, another war. And it just spread and just ravished massive section of Europe. Out of that, there's a group of people who survived that, who, were, who came direct descendants from Hasse's ministry. And they end up going into a neighboring place in Germany, and they become the Moravian movement. We'll talk about that uh, later at some point in time. But, but they, his, influence, his inf influence spread for years and years and years. Well, there's another guy in the mix. His name is Jerome. Jerome also, I think, had been a student at Oxford and came home, was really excited about what Whitfield was uh, preaching and teaching, and he also wanted to use it. He was very eloquent, so he would actually speak, and people would want to say, tell us these ideas, and he'd go from place to place, country to country, city to city, and uh, he was like a tall, dark, and handsome orator. People wanted to hear what he had to say, and he got out there, and he'd tell them all these radical ideas. There'd be discussions, and they're all discussing what Whitfield preached. He, and, he was uh, related to Huss in some way. They had some kind of friendship, some kind of partnership. Perhaps they preached together. And um, Jerome said, don't go, don't go to this uh, council where they want to hear you testify. But if you get in trouble, I'll come. I'll rescue you. I'll help you. And so they had this agreement. Uh, Huss gets captured. Next thing you know, he's in jail. So Jerome wants to help his friend, John Huss. So he sneaks into the city at night. He gets in there. He's able to talk with him. He's able to somehow meet him. And, and as he's escaping, as he gets out, he gets back to it near his hometown. They capture him. 
Now they put him in prison. And they put pressure on him that he needs to renounce all the teachings of Wycliffe. He needs to renounce John Huss, his friend. That John Huss is a heretic. John Huss is a false teacher. And under the threat of death, Jerome complied. And he says, yes, it's all false teaching. Yes, John Huss is a heretic. John Huss is a false teacher. And that word got out. And then they said, but you're going to die anyway. And he was so shocked to find out he wasn't going to get released from prison, that he was going to be burned at the stake, the same location where John Huss was, was burned. And so before they were able to do that, he said, look it. I was so afraid of dying, I said whatever I would say, whatever I could say to spare my life, but I was wrong. I was wrong about the movement, wrong about uh, the teaching, wrong about John Hess. I set all that under duress. I take it all back. I don't mean it. It was wrong. I've asked God to forgive me for denying the faith. And they took him out, and they burned him alive. Those kinds of things will happen. They will happen in the days ahead. People that you think are your friends or partners of ministry. The pressure becomes so great. Pressure, the word pressure, the word stress, is the word trial or tribulation. And, and I think it's coming. I think it's going to come, and we're gonna, we'll, we'll, find out, we'll find out who we really are. We'll find out what kind of influence we really have. We'll find out whether we can really stand or not. It has happened. It will happen. It will happen. I'm not sure the point of sharing these three stories. I love uh, Whitfield, uh, Whitfield, Wycliffe, Whitfield too. Uh, Wycliffe, I, I, I think he's one of the most influential people in, in all of church history. What he did was absolutely amazing. How many would give up their job, their prestige of their position, their influence for the scripture? for righteousness sake. Amazing person. At the end of his life, he could have, he could have coasted into heaven. He, he was almost on the, he, he only lived a, a short time from the time he got on fire, the time he died was just a short time. I don't even think it was maybe even 10 years, very, very short time. He could have said, well, let's let a younger man take this on. Where's, we'll let, we'll let, uh, um, Youth with a mission, take it on. I'm an old guy. What can I do? What can I do in the short time that I have that could possibly make a difference? <laughs> in his case, everything. Everything. He took a stand. God used it, used his influence, used his writings, used his witness, his words. His words set on fire a movement that spread all through England. You want the kind of influence that 200 years later, they're banning your writings, they're burning your books, they're forbidding other people to do what you did, translating the scripture in the, in the, into the English tongue. You want that kind of influence. Um, I grew up, I grew up uh, when rock and roll was, was um, emerging. I'm a product of the 1950s. Rock and roll was pretty early, 1960s, all of that. 
And there are people who were great musicians and great singers, great songwriters. I don't want to name any names, but people who really influence our generation. But they never had a hit song. They, they themselves never had a number one song. But, uh, and you wonder about that, you know, how come they could never really get a big hit? Never really make any money? Either, either, uh, uh, everyone knew their name, but they could just never break the charts. But I watched this happen different times. Other musicians, other generations of musicians, 20, 30 years later, they're interviewing them, and they said, now, who was the big influence in your life? Who, who inspired you to be what you were? They all say, this guy. This guy, the guy who never had a big hit, the guy who never had a number one, never had a gold record, and they'll name that guy's name over and over and over and over again. And I realized a long time ago, that's really what I would, that's what I crave. I don't care if I have the hit. I want to be a person of influence. I want to inspire other people. Don't you? I think there's two levels of, of, of real success. Maybe you're the guy who's right at the top. That's very rare. Very few people get there. But then there's this guy down here that kind of slips through, and he just lives his life, but his life impacts and influences the people who do get to the top. I think that's a whole different level of success. Amen?